verses 1 through 18, starting in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would, have no longer, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written to me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for, a sing- for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sins. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God for it. If you would please just join me in a prayer. Lord God, I ask that you would bless the reading and and preaching of your word this evening. Lord, please strengthen your weak servant and empower me to pull out the right meaning and teaching of our text and give those in this room receptive ears and hearts to your truth. We thank you every day for the life and hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. And it is in his holy name that we pray. Amen. I think that it would be fair to assume that as children, and maybe even now, when we do something wrong, we either try to hide the evidence or hide ourselves. It's not hard to imagine that when we did something like track mud through the house, received a bad grade in school, or broke one of our siblings' belongings, that we tried to cover our tracks, tied to cover up the evidence and our involvement in that failing and wrongdoing. It is a natural reaction for fallen humanity to do these things. We can see the same kind of reaction in the account of Adam and Eve after they had eaten of the tree that God had forbidden them. Once they became aware of their nakedness, once they felt the guilt and shame of sinning, of breaking the command that God had given them, they, they began to hide themselves. They hid from God and they created for themselves coverings made out of, out of leaves. When God, called, when God called out to them, and they came out from their hiding place, they started to blame shift, started to hide their own involvement. They were attempting to cover up their own sins. Or one could say they were attempting to atone for their sins. The word used for atonement is a, 
is the same word in Hebrew used for covering. So when Adam and Eve made garments of leaves to cover their shame, they were attempting to atone for or cover up their sins before God. Unfortunately for our first parents, their attempts at atonement fell woefully short. God, however, being rich in mercy and grace, made more proper coverings for them. He gave them uh, clothes of animal skins. And these uh, garments of skin were meant to foreshadow the Levitical sacrifices that were to come. They showed the need for blood to be spilled in order to make atonement for sins. Because as we will see from our text this evening, blood is necessary to atone for sin. To make one sanctified, holy, perfect in the eyes of God. And by the, the end of tonight's service, it is my hope that you will all see the great value and power that is found only in the blood of Jesus. Our, our message this morning, uh, will, or this evening rather, will be broken up into three sections. The shadowy sacrifices of the Levites, the sacred substance of Christ's sacrifice, and the sufficient sacrifice of Christ's life. And if there's only one thing that you take away from this evening's message, it, it, I want it to be this. Trust in the atoning sacrifice of Christ made once for all that has made you perfect in the eyes of a holy God. Trust in the atoning sacrifice of Christ made once for all that has made you perfect in the eyes of a holy God. And so we start tonight's message by talking about the shadowy sacrifices of the Levites. Hebrews was written with a primarily Jewish audience in mind and the author assumes that his original audience would be quite familiar with the customs and practices of the Israelite sacrifices. So this book serves as a great way to open up much of the Old Testament, especially the books of the Pentateuch, books of the law. But much of what is assumed as common knowledge is not so in today's culture. So it would do us good to do a bit of foundation laying and groundwork. So starting with priests, priests were a separated, called out, holy group that were called to minister on behalf of the people. They were the ones who were to offer sacrifices and prayers to the Lord in the place of the nation. They were to be kept away from any kind of uncleanness because they had the responsibility of being Israel's representatives before God. They would be pure and holy. And out of that group was the high priest, and he was even more set apart than the others. He was the one man responsible to go into the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence was especially manifest upon the earth. And that is a great and terrifying job. And so he was only allowed to go in there once a year. And so speaking of the Holy of Holies, we can talk about the temple or the tabernacle. This was the place where God's presence would dwell amongst his people on the earth. It was the center of Israelite worship and was the place where sacrifices were meant to be offered. While many papers or sermons could be written in order to explain the beautiful typology and symbology found within all the details of both of these uh, structures, for us, we only need to focus on its most foundational and basic design breakdown. First, you had the court. This is where the people were able to come and they would bring their sacrifices and give them to the priests. This is where the, the sacrifices would be killed, the blood would be collected, the, the bodies would be burnt upon the altar. Then there was the holy place. This is where the priests were only allowed to go and they would go in every day and perform their duties. Then there was the most holy place. And that is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And there, above the mercy seat upon the Ark, is where God's presence would be. He would be in the midst of his people. And the most holy place was separated by a veil 
and it stayed before only entered once a year by the high priest. And so sacrifices, what are, what are sacrifices? Well, they were meant to show the bloody and deadly penalty that sin so rightly deserves. As Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. All sin is a direct affront to a holy God. It is an act of cosmic rebellion against the Lord, and therefore the just penalty for such rebellion is death. God promises this to Adam, that on the day that you eat of this fruit, you will die. And from then, sin entered the world. Death entered. So blood must be spilt because of sin. The bloody animal sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood were meant to show the need for a substitute, for a stand, for an innocent stand-in to take the place of a sinner. It was, it was necessary for an innocent to die in the place of a sinner. As the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Blood was and is necessary to purify and atone for sins. And these sacrifices, the many sacrifices of, of Israel, reached their pinnacle form in the many festivals that were held uh, in, by the ancient Israelites. The most important of the Israelite holidays for our, for our purposes tonight is the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement was one of, if not the highest holy day in the Israelite liturgical calendar. It showed the need for a representative, for a mediator, for the high priest to bear upon his shoulders the people and their sins before God and to make atonement for them. He would have a breastplate adorned with precious stones, each having a tribe of Israel written across it. And on his shoulders would be two more stones, each having six of the tribes of Israel upon them. And this was to represent that he was the entire nation and he bore them in front of God. Upon his head would be a golden plate that would inscribed on it would be holy to the Lord. All of this outward beauty was meant to convey the beauty of true holiness, of true righteousness. But the high priest was not actually holy. He was not truly good enough to stand before, in, before God by his own merit. So he would have to sacrifice a bull in order to come into the Holy of Holies. And as he, before he did that, he would be brought forth two goats. One, he would place his hand upon and speak over it the sins of the nation, and that would be cast out into the wilderness to die. The other would be sacrificed in a more typical manner. Some of its blood would be collected, and he would go into the Holy of Holies with this blood and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat to make atonement for sins. And he did this once a year. So the entire Levitical system, the entire system of sacrifices were not effectual to remove sins. And we'll we'll see this once we start with verse 1 and 2. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 8, though, that they were but shadows and copies of the heavenly things. They pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice that was to come. So, now we can begin back in our text. Their repetition showed their inability. We can see a similar statement about them being copies and shadows in verse 1 of our, of our text this evening. These sacrifices and festivals were merely po- pointed to the true sacrifice that was to come. We are told in, in these first four verses that all of these sacrifices, all of these festivals, the entire system failed to make anyone 
truly holy. They failed to remove guilt. They failed to remove sin. And they made no man perfect in the eyes of God. If they had accomplished their stated goal to remove sin and guilt, they would have ceased. But they didn't. So they continued. Their repetition was meant to show their inability and inadequacy. And verse 4 says it best. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But these sacrifices were not altogether worthless, though. They did not remove sins. That much is certain and clear. But they pointed to the one that did. And they were a wonderful teaching tool. They were a wonderful sign that pointed to Christ and his work. Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, states that the ancient Israelites indeed had in this symbol, that is the animal sacrifices, a pledge of the real cleansing. But it was in reference to another, even as the blood of the calf represented the blood of Christ. The entire system was a type and shadow of Christ's work as the great high priest. He is the, is the word who came, became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. His body was the true temple of, on earth, and he is the true heavenly high priest. And as we will explain just in just a bit, he is the true atoning sacrifice for the removal of the guilty stain of sin. Verse 3, their repetition served as a reminder, the constant need of blood, including the yearly observance of the Day of Atonement, show that the people were still sinners. Their repetition, the fact that they continued, showed that they were still sinners. It was a constant reminder of their need for atonement. The people of Israel needed sacrifices offered every day of every year because they sinned every day of every year. And friends, you and I are no different than that. <laughs> you, we all, you all, fall short of the glorious standards of God's law, even as His people. There is not a day, not even an hour, where we as fallen sinners live perfectly in accord to God's will. We too were in need of atonement. We too were in need of blood to be spilt on our behalf, to purify us and to make us perfect in his eyes. So now we can move on from the shadowy sacrifices of the Levites to Christ and his sacrifice. So that brings us to the second main section of our message this evening. The sacred substance of Christ's sacrifice. And that will cover verses 5 through 10. The true worship that God desires is a life lived out according to his law and his will. Jesus tells us in John 4 that God desires worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not burnt offerings, not sin offerings that please God. Rather, it is a life that is conformed to his will, to his nature. And unfortunately for us, we, by nature, fallen humanity, is unable to accomplish this. We fail to keep the two greatest commandments on which all the law is written, to love God and to love our neighbor. And we either do this by committing sins of commission, that is, actively doing something against, the, against God's commands, or by sins of omission, where we uh, fail to perform a duty required of us by God. And so Paul quotes... Uh, the 14th Psalm in the book of Romans and writes that no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless and no one does good, not even one. So no one lives a life acceptable in God's eyes. No normal human. They are all viewed as rebels and the only way that a sinner could become acceptable in God's eyes is if the 
just penalty for their sins was met and dealt out, and then they lived a perfect life in accord with God's law. But there's a problem with that. If you remember, the just penalty for sin is death. That, that kind of puts a wrinkle in us trying to make ourselves righteous to live a, a, a just life and atone for our own sins. So no, we need another. We need someone else who can both atone for our sins, be the stand-in, and merit eternal life with God. And so Christ performed the will of God perfectly. Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, lived a life that was righteous. He lived in his humanity in complete submission to God's will. And he was able to do this because he is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, and in his incarnation, free from the original taint of sin. He both actively and passively obeyed the will of God. His passive obedience was going to the cross as an obedient and willing sacrifice. In his humanity, he was obedient to God the Father. This can be seen in Christ's prayer that the Father's will be done, not his own. And by going to the cross as a willing sacrifice for God's people, Christ followed the plan and will of salvation that God had laid out. And he was a willing sacrifice compared to the unwilling animals of the Levitical sacrifices. He was willing. He loved you and went. So Christ, and then now, Christ's active obedience was the righteous life that he lived. It was the life lived perfectly according to the law of God. And because of that, he has earned, merited eternal life. And he gives it to those who are under his covenant headship. And he lived out the life that all humanity was meant to live in the garden. He was the only acceptable substitute, the only acceptable representative for all for sinful humanity. Only Jesus could stand before God as a perfect mediator on behalf of sinners. Only his righteous life could inherit eternal life, and only his blood, his innocent blood, could atone for sins. And so, speaking of his blood, his blood did what bulls and goats could not do. Look down to verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. As John the Baptist declared in John chapter 1, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus laid down his life as a perfect, appropriate, atoning sacrifice for sin. Only another man could stand in the place of a man. Only Jesus, the God-man, could be an acceptable substitute. And so he suffered the agony and humiliation of a Roman crucifixion, even though he was innocent. He had no faults. And he bore the, the sins of his people upon his shoulders. And worst of all, he took the full portion of God's wrath that sin so rightly deserves for his people. He took it all. This was all done to both atone for your sins and to merit you eternal life, to put you back in a right relationship with God. The author of Hebrews makes this clear in verse 10. The sacrifice of his broken body and spilled blood has sanctified you, has made you perfect in the eyes of God. You have been declared righteous and holy, not because of your own merit, but rather because of Christ's righteous life being imputed to you, counted on your behalf, and his blood purifying you. Upon the cross, a great exchange took place. Christ bore your sins 
offered himself up as a sacrifice. And he has credited to you his meritorious life. He has cloaked you in his righteousness, and your sins have been covered and atoned for. That, that's an appropriate covering. The purifying blood and the purifying righteousness of Christ. That's a proper atonement for sins. So there is no longer any good work required of you in order to justify yourself before God. In his death upon the cross, Jesus both paid the penalty of your sins and has gifted you righteousness required to obtain eternal life. And he's accomplished it all with his once-for-all sacrifice. And now, some of you may be asking, I understand that his sacrifice was worthy. His death was a worthy sacrifice. I understand that, but was it sufficient? How does his one death cover all of my sins? Does it? The answer to that, my friends, is yes. Absolutely. Christ's blood is sufficient And so we can now move in to our third main section, and that is the sufficient sacrifice of Christ's life. That will be verses 11 through 14. Again, the repetitive nature of the Levitical sacrifices of the Old Covenant show their futility, their inability. We can see in verse 11 that the author of Hebrews again compares and contrasts the Levitical sacrifices with Christ's sacrifice. Going back to the Levitical sacrifices... The priests would perform their duties throughout the day standing in the temple. They offered multiple sacrifices a day, multiple times a day, every day of every year. And they were meant to be constantly spilling blood because the people of Israel constantly sinned. Richard Phillips, in his his commentary, in the Reformed Expository Commentary on the book of Hebrews, writes on this portion of our text, and he writes saying, There in all his futility stands the priest of the Old Covenant day after day, offering the same sacrifices over and over, reminding us of, but unable to repair, the terrible problem of sin. These sacrifices could not fix the problem. I will emphasize it once more. These sacrifices, the blood of unwilling bulls and goats, offered by a sinner on behalf of another sinner, were ineffectual. They were unable to make any man, any woman, holy, perfect in the eyes of God. They did not sanctify men. They made no man perfect. But Christ's sacrifice was effectual. His blood does indeed wash away the guilty stain of sin. He has already taken the legal penalty for your sins and has cloaked you in his righteousness. And we can see that his work was effectual because he has taken his seat. Christ has taken his seat. The true and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, offered up his sacrifice once. He offered himself as the Lamb of God to make atonement for sins. And after having offered up the the holy sacrifice of his righteous life, he sat down. Because his work was complete. As as he himself tells us in John 19.30, it is finished. His work was done. He had completed making atonement for sin. John Owen writes in his commentary, This is Christ's unalterable state and condition. Christ sat down, never to offer sacrifices anymore. His sacrifice makes perfect those who trust in him. He doesn't need to offer more. His sacrifice did the job. Those who draw near and place their faith in Christ and in his work have been made perfect in the sight of God. They are now free to worship God rightly, 
You who have faith in Christ have a restored relationship with, with God. You have been cleansed of your guilt and your sin, and you've been given new hearts and are now indwelled by the very Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. And speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit writes the law of God upon our hearts. This will cover verses 15 through 18. The Spirit writes the law of God upon our new hearts and our new minds. He gives us new wills. And because you have been cleansed from your old simple desires, and are now, and now your desires ought to be to emulate Christ, your will is no longer to follow sinful passions, but to follow the will of God out of love, not to justify yourself. You don't follow the law in order to make yourself better in, the, in God's sight or to maintain your justification. You do it out of a deep love and appreciation for what He's done for you. As His adopted child, you seek to demonstrate the love and appreciation that you have for Him. You no longer need to be forgiven for your daily failings and sins because Christ has offered up a perfect sacrifice once and for all. And the Holy Spirit seals the sufficient sacrifice of Christ. It can never be taken away. And so I just want to leave us with three pieces of application and I'll, I'll bring us to a close. The first piece of application that I want to leave, with, leave you all with, and this is the most important, I think, is this. Trust in the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. There is no further need for sacrifices. So rest in Christ's work. One of my favorite hymns has a line that I think really captures this idea quite well. It says, The sum of all my sacrifice, though joyful, fails to justify. I cannot pay for grace that's free or add to work that is complete. You cannot add to your justification. You cannot buy it. You can't do anything to the perfect, completed work of Christ. You only can look and recognize yourself as a sinner, see your state as a fallen man or woman, and cry out to God, look to Christ. I see only you. You are my mediator. You are my sacrifice. That's all I have. My works mean nothing. I look to you. That's all you can do. So do not trust in your own works or in the religious practices of men. You have been forgiven of your sins. The last verse of our passage sums this piece of application up perfectly. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offerings for sin. The work is done. Rest in Christ for your justification. Rest in Him. Friends, if you are in Christ, there is nothing more that needs to be done. Jesus, our great high priest, has completed it all. So rest. Second point of application. Confidently draw near to the throne of grace. Since Christ's completed work has made you perfect in the eyes of God, you are now free to draw near to Him, draw into His presence. You have been sanctified, made holy, declared perfect and righteous. And you have been cloaked in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And so, since Christ, our advocate, is seated in the right, at the right hand of God the Father, and our, through our union with Him because of the Spirit, we now have access to the very throne room of God whenever we want. We may always go to His throne of grace whenever we need. We have access to God, and He loves you as His adopted children and desires for you to come forth to Him with your petitions, your prayers, your thanksgiving, your worship. So, our one, our high priest, has opened up access to the true, heavenly, most holy place.
The new covenant is much better than the old in many different ways, but the most pertinent for, uh, for tonight's message is this. In the old covenant, only the high priest could go into the most holy place, and only once a year. In the new, all of the priests may go. And brothers and sisters, you have been made priests of God upon the earth. So you may go into the very presence of God, and he welcomes you there. And so, speaking of being priests, third piece of application. Act like the priest that Christ has turned you into. Lastly, since there is no longer any need for sacrifice to atone for sins, and since you have been made holy priests that are able to draw near to the throne of grace, then you ought to act accordingly. As I said a few moments ago, the Spirit has written the law of God upon your hearts and your minds. He's given you new desires, and now you can imitate Christ in living a life after the will of God. As we draw near to God through the ordinary means of grace, the preached and read word, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, fellowship, we are conformed to the image of Christ. Our, our lives, our words, our actions, our, de- our, our thoughts are brought into greater conformity with, with Christ. And lastly, even under the new covenant, priests, which, again, all of you are, are still obligated to bring forth offerings and sacrifices to God. But they are not the same kind of sacrifices as the old. These are not sacrifices to atone for sins. Rather, they are sacrifices out of love. The offerings that new covenant priests bring to God are their prayers and their worship. Their sacrifices are the righteous deeds they do to the glory of God and in His name. It is their life poured out as a drink offering for the sake of Christ's kingdom and gospel. Those are your sacrifices and offerings. That is what we as new covenant priests are are to do. I implore you then, friends, live like the priests that you have been called to be. Your sins have been forgiven and there is no longer a need for a sin offering. But you have been called to walk before God as his priests upon the earth. Well, as tonight's service draws to a close, I uh, just wanted to quickly summarize what, I, what I've said. Look to and rest in Christ and in his work, in his life, his death, resurrection, and ascension. Christ's life was the sacred substance of his sacrifice. His death was him offering up a sufficient atonement for sins. His resurrection was confirmation that his sacrifice was accepted. And his ascension now means that we both have a constant advocate and mediator in heaven on Uh, praying for us on our behalf, and access to God through our union with Christ. I pray that my words both stir within you a growing peace and assurance that Christ's work has, has made you perfect in the eyes of God. He's done it all. And as well, I hope that it grow, that it has stirred within you a desire to live a life in greater and greater conformity with God's will, with God's law. It is my hope that all of you would leave tonight with this firmly chiseled in your mind. Trust in the atoning sacrifice of Christ, made once for all that has made you perfect in the eyes of a holy God. May you all not trust in the sacrifice and works of men for your justification. May you draw near to the throne of God daily, being comforted and sanctified as you do. And finally, may you live lives like a priest of God ought to. I again wish to thank you all for giving me the opportunity to step into your pulpit and work through God's word together. Thank you.